Have you ever had a student or teacher tell you that they are not creative? This week's guest, Dr. J.C. Maslick, shares how she instills creativity in her district and how her STEAM program inspired the students to read and write. Join us as J.C. provides steps on how she constructed a makerspace and STEAM program to enhance students' life skills, imagination, and creativity. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. JC, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. And we have the wonderful opportunity to meet at the Teach Better Conference, and I did not realize that the first person I met at that conference was someone of greatness. And it was such an honor to meet you and get a chance to be at the conference and just listen to all of your amazing insight, and it is a true honor to have you on the podcast. So before we begin, I just wanted to ask you about your leadership journey. Well, and to say as well, I mean, the Teach Better Conference was such an amazing opportunity. There were so many people there. It was about the people for me. Yes. Um, you know, everywhere you turn, just another great connection. And for me, there were so many firsts, like my first face-to-face meeting with so many people who I'd been connected with for a long time, or got the chance to meet them. So um, a, a great opportunity. My leadership journey, um, I started out as a classroom teacher 23 years ago. <laughs> I, I've been in this game for a while. Um, I taught kindergarten and first grade. I sort of developed my love of, of teaching literacy then, and I went on to study to be a reading specialist, took a job as a reading specialist and a reading coach for a little bit of time, and loved that opportunity to work with educators, kind of fueled that desire to lead a little bit more, went to get my principal certification. I was an elementary principal for 10 years. I still tell people, greatest job in the world. If someone came to me and said, hey, we're looking for an elementary principal, would you consider it? I probably would. I just <laughs> loved, I loved having my own building and my people. And just to be around the kids every single day was such a joy. And, you know, I just came to a point where I felt like I wanted to lead maybe with some greater impact. Currently an assistant superintendent in a school district outside of Pittsburgh. This will be my sixth school year as the assistant superintendent. And, you know, my plate is full of everything you can imagine. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. So, you know, curriculum instruction, assessment, professional development, ESL, a little bit of technology. So um, a lot of things kind of fall in my way, but that's what I like about it because it also means that it's not the same every day. I'm, I'm generally doing lots of different things. And again, it allows me to work directly, not only with our other district leaders, but with our teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as of last year, my office was moved to an elementary school. So now I kind of get that connection back to the little ones. Yeah. So um, I walk down the hall and I can see my kindergarten friends anytime I want because <laughs> my office is there um, in inside a K through four elementary building. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because... You know, when you get into the higher positions, you know, I've had a lot of guests talk about the distance between them and students, and that seems to be something that's very difficult for a lot of educational leaders. So that's probably fun for you to have that connection and be able to see kids every day, even though you're at Central Admin. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the hardest things. You know, people sometimes ask for advice, like, hey, I want to move up the ladder. 
any any barriers or any suggestions? What advice do you have? I mean, my biggest thing is you are technically taking one step further away from kids. Mm-hmm. You know, every step up in the chain that you take, sure. but don't lose sight of. I always, hey, you need a classroom reader. What can I do to support? You know, you're doing a hands-on project. Call me. I, I want to come and be that extra set of hands in the classroom because I never want to lose sight of why I got into this in the first place, which is kids. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your connection to technology because a lot of things that you write about is with STEAM and with Makerspace. You know, you were an elementary teacher and a principal. So what connected you to technology and that love of creation? Well, so my sort of journey into STEAM and making started on the low tech end, to be honest. We received a grant when I was an elementary principal to start a Makerspace and it was when it was a very new concept and we didn't really know how to get started. We knew we wanted to have a classroom that would offer opportunities for exploration and and designing and hacking and and all sorts of different things. Um, And we kind of let the kids drive what the materials were going to be, what the content was going to be. And sometimes it was really simple things, but you know, I share stories all the time. Sometimes it's as much as a cardboard box and duct tape Mm -hmm. is coding with an iPad or the latest robotics tools. So I think I like both aspects of that. I think there are kids who gravitate to both high tech and low tech. And I think it's part of our responsibility to offer a range of those experiences. I don't always want it to be tied to tech. Although I think there are so many great tools that are out there that can really create that advanced look at at making and and design through the use of technology. So there are a lot of schools out in the United States that don't have any type of STEAM program or makerspace. For those who are interested, what are some first steps that they can take and what are some trials that you had in your creation of those programs? So I think I have, I do feel like I have a little bit of an edge on this because we first started, again, when I was an elementary principal, um, we had one classroom that we kind of dedicated to this space, and it was on the first floor, and the next year, we had to turn it into a kindergarten class because we had an extra second in kindergarten that year. So we had to move our space after we designed it the first year, and I feel like we learned a lot. Um, so when we were doing it the second time around, we thought, oh, we need lots of storage. It'll be a, a barrier that we weren't prepared for. Yep. I think we had an advantage in that we received some grant money to get started. Um, but conversely, so in the district that I'm in now, when I arrived here six years ago, we didn't have any of this programming at all. We had some really interested junior high faculty uh, and leaders in our five through eight building that said, we have this empty room. Let's come up with something. Mm-hmm. And we had this you know, ongoing kind of brainstorming session. We met in the mornings at 730 and kind of just said, hey, what do you think about this? Or I saw this tool. What, how, how, can we, how can we bring these to our kids? And we started that space with, I mean, literally a couple hundred dollars. We asked our custodians if they would paint the walls so that it would be an inviting space. Uh, we reached out to our parents and said, there are a bunch of things we'd love for you to donate. Can you share? It? And I'm talking about household things, sure. um, you know, household items or broken toys or you know, your, your spare Legos that your kids don't use anymore. Um, we looked to our community and we said, um, can you donate to us time, money, expertise, just to kind of tap into what our local community community could share with us. 
Um, and we were really able to get that program up and running with not a lot of resources, aside from human resources. And I can tell you that that program has developed over time. It's now a course that we offer. We, we call it Innovate Ed. So it's all things innovation. And um, we have a really dynamic teacher who's kind of leading the way there where it was literally a classroom before. It's now a course with a teacher. Um, and it's just really developed a lot over the last couple of years. So I think any school can create an opportunity with a space or without, with a teacher or without. It's just finding the needs of your students and their interests and then pulling together your community resources to build up that support for, um, for innovation and creativity in the classroom. So I know a lot of campuses have created the space, but they're, they always struggle with like the integration and trying to embed the makerspace into the children's learning, even though they don't have, and maybe it's because of staffing, they maybe don't have a teacher or a course created. So in your early stages, how did you integrate makerspace and STEAM into the classes? Um, well, part of it was we needed to equip our teachers a little bit, um, offered some summer workshops. Um, where we invited teachers in to learn some maker skills. And we had conversations around, okay, you just learned how to code. What could that look like in your second grade classroom? What could that look like in your seventh grade classroom? What does it look like in the physical education classroom? So teachers kind of generated these ideas. We also tied a lot of it to literacy because a lot of our folks feel like they're spending a lot of their instructional time on English language arts, reading, writing. Everybody sort of feels ownership over that, right? We're all teachers reading. And so we found ways to tie design experiences into a lot of the books that were either a part of our curriculum or stories that teachers were reading aloud. Um, we have some, some dynamic middle level teachers who tied some maker experiences into the novels that they were already reading. And just gave the kids the opportunity to explore with materials, um, go through the engineering and design process. And so we, it kind of happened organically. I mean, there was no, uh, we didn't put out a district mandate that said, you know, everybody must make and show us where that is in your curriculum. We let that happen in a way that teachers were comfortable with. Um, we did a lot of teaming. So maybe you're really comfortable with a skill that I'm not. Well, our classes could connect. You know, maybe you teach English and I teach social studies. Okay, let's bring our classes together and talk about ways that we might be able to do some sort of group experience. Um, I think that sometimes helps educators and helps kids with those collaboration skills. Obviously, that makes things a little different in the world that we're in now. Um, those things remotely present some challenges, um, but we're working on ways to make that happen too, that, so that our students if they are at home um, learning virtually, that we still give them the materials, the time and space to be able to build and create in ways that are meaningful to them. Yeah. So JC, I know that with technology, some people get real hesitant because of their own skills. So for those who maybe were reserved or hesitant with the makerspace and with STEAM and incorporating that into their classroom, how did you work with them to get them to be comfortable enough to accept the idea and, and to move forward with your vision? I think it's a process. Um, I will tell you, we have one of our days for professional learning every year is something that we call Tech Fest. Okay. Um, we kind of branded it years ago. And Tech Fest is a day of all things technology related. It's 
self-selected. So you decide what you want to learn about that day. The sessions are often developed by teachers or teachers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we also have students. One particular year, we sort of had like a tech lounge. So our whole auditorium lobby were kids with tech tools, robotics, you know, hey, here's an iPad. Let me show you some apps. And the kids were teaching our teachers. Nice. Um, so, you know, how cool is it to walk up and you see a, a student shoulder to shoulder with a teacher and they're talking about, you know, a, a simple, a simple tool that might be revolutionizing the, the classroom practice and it's coming from, from a student. So I think everybody is on sort of a different path when it comes to technology, you know, whether you're a digital native or digital immigrant and the way that you want to learn that is also different. So. Um, giving teachers the opportunity to do that at a self-paced sort of way um, that they're comfortable, whether that's, again, working with a team or a partner, having a student lead some of that. You know, I don't claim to know everything there is about technology. I'm, I'm learning along with, with my students and teachers. And, and sometimes we have to look at what option is best for each of the learners. And by learner, I mean adult learners too. Yeah. So you talked about literacy and trying to incorporate that with STEAM, and I thought that was a fantastic strategy that you used. What are some other strategies that you incorporated on your campus or in your district to increase literacy with your students? So uh, one of my books is called Remaking Literacy. It is all about the tie-in between the ways that we can motivate readers through you know, reading, writing, speaking, and listening, and how when we tie that to hands-on learning, there, there really seems to be an increase in engagement. Yeah. Um, we've seen that through a lot of our classrooms. You know, you, you can think of that reluctant reader that you know in, in whatever grade or whatever hallway you, you, you've seen them there. They're not interested in reading. But if you tie that reading experience to something that a student can design, build, break, make, <laughs> It changes the game. So we've, we've done a lot of that, um, a lot of making with our literacy development. Um, and I think sometimes, too, for kids. We had a, a local group in Pittsburgh who had developed an app, reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we're thinking about pushing this out. Are you willing to try it out? Sure. Called up a teacher friend of mine. I said, hey, I'm going to bring these guys to your classroom. We want your kids to try out this app and let's see what happens with it. So um, the kids just were kind of exploring and messing around little characters um and the kids are saying well we could write the script for what these you know what these characters are going to say to each other ah yeah somebody else is going to you know redesign the setting and they're going to create the the story about why the setting is the way that it is so i think there are also some tech ways that we can motivate kids to jump into things like reading and especially writing Um, i think there are a lot of a lot of our learners are reluctant to write Mm -hmm. and think they're not good enough, but if you give them opportunities to really shine, and, and whether that's through script writing or poetry writing or, again, whatever genre of writing is best for them, I think you really open up some opportunities for them. So I think you can do that, um, again, through making, through technology, a lot of different pathways that can open up that literacy piece, especially for kids who maybe have been on the fringe and don't feel like reading or writing is their thing. And I'm so glad you talked about your book because it's fantastic. But I also want to talk about another book that you wrote, which is Unlock Creativity, Opening a World of Imagination with Your Students. And I love this topic because 
you know, as a student myself, creativity just seemed like it was something that was on a back burner. I didn't really get a chance to to unlock that. And so will you just give a quick synopsis of your book and then maybe some strategies on how we can provide an opportunity for students to be creative? Well, I think we all know someone or maybe it's even ourselves that has said, oh, I'm just not creative. You know, I can't draw or I'm not musically inclined or whatever it might be. And the reason why I'm sort of passionate about this particular book is because of the simplistic ways you can start thinking about creativity for yourself. The very first chapter is about belief. If I don't believe that I'm creative and I don't engage in creative habits and, and creativity is not a part of my routine, well, there are some simple things that I can do to start to build that within myself. If I'm standing in front of a group of kids as a classroom teacher and I'm saying, well, I, I can't draw or I'm not creative, that's the message that I'm conveying to them. If I instead talk about the ways that I do express my creativity or things that I do to generate my creative thoughts every day, um, and something as simple as, you know, I tell people all the time, I carry around a notebook. It's where I stick all my good ideas. I'm not saying that that's the most creative thing in the world, but it's my way to kind of collect my thoughts. I use it for reflection. I sometimes doodle in it. That's my way. Well, kids have their way too. Maybe maybe the notebook works for them. And if I share that as a creative educator, that might unlock some ideas for a student. The book is really about the simple things. What can we do every day to make it a part of our practice so that students begin to see themselves as creative individuals. It's a way to give them more voice and choice in the classroom. It's a way to give them opportunities that maybe we only thought about for enrichment. Uh, that's that's kind of like if we get a chance to get to that, then do that work. I don't think we can afford to do that. We need to build up our students as creative, collaborative thinkers every day. And I think there are a lot of ways that we can incorporate that into classrooms and not just elementary classrooms. Um, I can think of a, an, a stellar eighth grade uh, English teacher that we have who has her kids do sketch notes. She has them do artistic one pagers about the chapters that they read in class. And for some of her students, that's such a better option than having to write an essay. Yep. They're still going through that same content. They're still summarizing. They're still pulling out character and plot lines. They're just doing it in a, in a way that allows them to express themselves. And I think at any age or grade, that's really good for developing young people. Couldn't agree more. So you talked about the difficulty with distance learning with some of the STEM practices, but as a leader too, we're going to have some, some difficulties um, with some of the procedures and things coming up. So I love giving opportunities for our listeners to be a part of different projects that are guests are a, a part of. And you have something coming up with ITSTE called the Expert Series on Leadership from a Distance. And I'm wondering what that project's all about. So ISTE has is running their Expert Series this summer. Um, and one of the sessions I'm going to be hosting here coming up is all about what it means in this, in this new world that we're in to lead from a distance. So um, we'll be talking about strategies that leaders can use to make sure that they're connected to, to teachers, to students, to families and community. We'll be talking about ways that, you know, some tools maybe that we can use, some strategies that we can use. Um, it's just going to be a short, uh, short webinar, but check out, you know, ISTE for some of those other selections. So if people want to register for that, they can. 
Well, that's a good segue to, as a leader, how important is it to be connected with other leaders? I know you are building principal now as a district administrator. Sometimes it does feel like we're on an island. And so why is it so important to try and connect with other people, not only in your district, but around the country and around the world? can't say enough about being a connected educator. It has been such a tremendous force in my life personally, being connected on Twitter, being connected on Boxer, obviously. Uh, thank you for the Aspire leaders yeah. part of that and that Boxer group, especially over the last couple of months, has been so helpful. I mean, none of us prepared we're prepared for this, right? We In our schooling, you know, I, I always joke with, with my boss, my superintendent, I say, you know, they didn't teach you this in super school. You know, they didn't tell you what to do during a pandemic. No one's really been prepared for all of the stumbling blocks to remote learning. And so by connecting to other people and having those conversations, I get so many new ideas from the people that I'm connected with. Um, you know, my PLN makes me better every single day. And I don't know what I would do with those groups that I'm connected um, to be able to, at the touch of a button, say, hey, what are you guys doing for this? Because I'm out of ideas. <laughs> During this time, it's just so important. And not to say that you're necessarily taking an idea from somebody else, but just in that conversation, you hear that and you think, oh, ah, I'm going to turn that and, and make it work for my people in my district in this way. But knowing that it that originated with, you know, my colleague in, you know, Wisconsin or New York or New Jersey or wherever, it's just such a support system. And I, I tell people all the time, if you're not connected on social media, shame on you. It has what has really allowed me to grow as a professional more than ever, at least over the last, um, you know, eight to 10 years being connected on, on Twitter and Boxer has been tremendous. Yeah. So JC, for those who are aspiring to become a leader and may not have a leadership position, what are some tips that you have for them? Well, I, I go back to stay connected. Um, <laughs> you know, I've had people reach out to me on, on Twitter and say, you know, do, do you have any thoughts? I'm, I'm vying for this job. What do you think I should do? Um, I think being able to say, I'm, I'm connected to this global PLN that makes me better is a huge talking point for anybody who's looking to go into leadership. Um, I mean, obviously, you have to be a people person. You have to be um, ready and willing and available to communicate with all stakeholders all the time. I think I shared in the Boxer group, it's about people, not papers. Yep. And I learned that lesson very early on when I was a building principal that, I mean, I would have emails and papers that I had to sign off on stacking up on my desk. But I didn't do that until six o'clock at night because when my people were there, I needed to be out with them. I needed to be in the classrooms and in the hallways and in the cafeteria and on bus duty and making sure that I was there to have the important conversations that really mattered. That, that paper that I signed off with isn't going to matter about how we're leading the school. The people that I'm connected with and that I'm touching base with every single day, what's going to drive our school forward or our district forward. I think for up and coming leaders, you know, be connected face to face and virtually, you know, make sure that you are making yourself available. I think showing your vulnerabilities is, is hard as a leader. You know, you want to come into this position and prove yourself and show that you know, but I think one of the most compelling things for educators is being able to say, you know what, 
I don't know the answer, but let's let's figure it out together. I think there, there's real power in being vulnerable enough to say that. And I think it helps to build those relationships that are going to effectively change change your district as you move ahead. And I think that's important piece there that you talked about is it is very easy to get stuck in your office with all the paperwork and all the things the emails shoot we could be in our office all day just emailing Um, but it's so important to get out and to make those connections with your students and with your staff throughout the day so I I love that aspect of of your answer I want to touch on this real quick because I know we're toward the end of our conversation is the social media piece and being connected as a leader is so important but I also know that you're a big believer in creating a, a network for your school so why is it so important for schools to have a social media influence within their community well, so when I started here in our district, um, we had zero social media accounts or connections. And so over the course of the last several years, that has changed the game for us. I mean, our parents are on Facebook and weren't there. Well, what an opportunity that we missed to connect with them and to put information out to share with them. I think our teachers had been led to believe that social media was bad, right? I mean, like, That was not for the educational field, you know, too risky to put yourself out there. And I think over the years, the way that our teachers have been able to share what they're doing in their classroom has just endeared parents even more to say, like, I saw my kid and you posted that picture on Twitter and that's so cool. You know, oh, there's a video of what my kids did in that classroom today. I think there's real power in, in sharing our story because if we're closed off to social media, then people are going to tell their own story of what's happening. And shouldn't we kind of take the reins on that and, and show them, here's what's happening in our classrooms every day. Here's how our teachers are, are connecting personally with your students. Here's how our teachers are connecting with one another and collaborating, whether it be in our school, in our district, or here's how they're collaborating globally with teachers in, in other locations. It has allowed our teachers to really shine in a unique way. And it's even lifted the voices of our students. I mean, we have kids who are blogging. We have kids who are doing podcasts and using our social media tools to push that out. And it's just been a really powerful way to to share the good work that's happening in our district. Well, JC, I wanted to mention this because um, I didn't get a chance to earlier, but I know there's a book study going on on your book through EduMatch Unlock Creativity. And I believe it's through STEM teacher membership. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, if you don't follow Carly and Adam, check them out um, on all social media. They have a STEM membership. My session on creativity is one of the first ones. It's a part of the membership. We're doing a book study on there. Um, you can connect with them on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And right now we have, I think, almost 400 teachers oh, wow. um, who are the book study. And so we'll be doing some Facebook Lives and um, just a nice way as we head into this new and unknown school year to kind of get teachers thinking creatively, thinking outside the box about how they're going to enter into the 2021 school year. That's so cool. JC, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? Uh, so you can find me uh, on Twitter at Dr. JC Maslick, at JC Maslick on Instagram. If anybody wants to email me, feel free to do that, JC Maslick at Gmail. And I also want to make mention that I just had Kristen Nunn on the uh, podcast and you guys co-authored All In, Taking a Gamble in Education. Definitely check that out. Fantastic book. But JC, it is always an honor to speak with you, not only on Boxer and the Boxer Group, but also on this podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it.